Good morning, Hope Church. It's wonderful to be here with you today. In fact, during this time, it's wonderful to be anywhere where there's people, right? And uh, I've driven by this church so often uh, on the 401 out here and wondered what's going on inside there. And now this morning, I'm here, I'm able to see your faces and to worship with you. Thank you, that, thank you for the ministry, the worship team led us in. What a beautiful time of worship as we just shut ourselves in with God. I, I love worship, and I've had the privilege over the years to worship with people in many cultures, in many languages. And if you've had the opportunity, and I'm sure many of you have, to worship with fellow Christians in a language where you haven't got a clue what's being said, but yet you understand everything. Isn't that something? And it's so sweet to know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me pray together and let me invite the Holy Spirit to be with us now, particularly as we open his word and as we together look at the heart of God for missions. Father, we thank you for your mission strategy. Thank you that you actually had a plan and you executed that plan just perfectly. You sent your only son to earth as a missionary to those that you created who had turned your ba their backs on you. And you loved them. You taught them. You helped them to see your heart for those that you created. And to all who believed, you gave the gift of eternal life. And we thank you. That's our prayer today. Our prayer is that you would use us to bring your word, your message of love and hope, and that in hearing and experiencing that, many people will find Jesus Christ as their Savior. We pray this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Now, uh, I'm pretty sure, I've been around Hope Church here in Oakville long enough I'm pretty sure that you don't need to be convinced to help the poor. Am I correct? Yeah. I get that impression. You don't need another sermon on why you should help the poor. You don't need a sales pitch. You know your Bible. And Hope Church is all about the Bible. And you know the heart of Christ for the poor. So I'm with friends, and I'm going to take a step of faith that I don't need to give you all that background. We're going to go right into the meat of what God is saying to us today. The scripture that, that is so familiar to many of us that I want to draw from today is found in Matthew 26, and it's the story of Jesus at Bethany. You know the story well, where he is anointed by a woman who just worships him and loves him. 
And we pick up the story in Matthew 26, verse 6. And Jesus said, uh, or the, the story reads, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself yesterday driving into Toronto. I had to stop and buy gas. And I'm thinking, there's very expensive perfume. Wow. But what she had was so valuable. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? It would be like me pulling up for gas and seeing somebody with a jerry can of gas pouring it on the ground. What are you doing? Are you crazy? You're wasting this valuable, precious, precious ointment. And they go on to say that this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. I'm not sure that would have really been their motive. Aware of this, and Jesus is always aware, he said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I somehow think Jesus was looking at Mississauga, Ontario, this morning and saying, even far away in Canada, they're going to be talking about this woman and her act of kindness and generosity. In verse 11, Jesus said, the poor will always be with us. Now, I can't tell you how many times that scripture has been quoted to me when I'm in a conference or I'm in a church or I'm in a setting where I'm teaching about poverty. It's often quoted, though, as a defense of why should we bother? Why should we give? Why should we do all this work? Because Jesus himself said, there's always going to be poor people. So we're never really going to get rid of the problem. But that's not what Jesus was saying here. Jesus didn't mean that we cannot overcome poverty. Jesus didn't mean that it's a useless cause. So don't waste your money and don't waste your energy. What Jesus did mean is because of the apathy of human nature and the corruption that is endemic around the world, poverty will always be with us because poverty is man-made. It's not natural. So why don't more people help the poor? It's not because they don't care. I, I don't buy that. I think 
people in Canada, I think people here in the greater GTA area, we care about the poor. I don't think it's because everybody is so selfish that they don't want to part with a dime or a toonie to help the poor. I don't think it's that. I actually, in all of my years of, of ministering to the poor, I actually believe that it comes down to two questions. They don't know what to do, and they don't know who to trust. So why do people generally not help the poor? Or why do they not help the poor to the extent that they would like to or that they could? It's because they don't know what to do. And that speaks to me of strategy. How can I, how can I in Mississauga, Ontario, how can I effectively change a life or help somebody in a faraway country? And they don't know who to trust. That speaks of integrity. What is the strategy? How can we do it? And who can I trust to carry out my goal of ministry of helping the poor? So let's tackle the second one first. Let's tackle the integrity question first. Who do I trust? What's their track record? These are fair questions, don't you think? There's some places you don't ask those questions, though, and uh, some political realms. The word integrity means doing what you say you do. The quality of being honest. That's what integrity means. In Matthew 7, 16, Jesus states that we will be able to discern who to trust by two things, their behavior and their works. In this context of chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus actually calls us, you and I, to be fruit inspectors. We are to inspect, we are to determine whether or not the actions of an individual match their words. Because that's what integrity is. We are to be critics without being critical. We are to be judges without being judgmental. We as human beings, we have a right to inspect if someone makes us a promise, if it's a political person making us a promise, they come to our door and they ask for our vote, I'll do this, we have a right to follow up to see if their actions actually match their words. If you're in a stage of getting to know a new friend in a, in a romantic relationship, when you go on a date, those dates aren't just a time for you to be, it's a time for you to be a fruit inspector. You are checking every minute you're with that person. You're observing. You're not being critical. You're not being judgmental. But you're observing. Do they have integrity? Are they the same person they say they are? That's what it means. I've spent the last 
38 years, as, as your pastor said, working with the global poor. I've worked in 61 countries, and you could say that I've seen it all, and I have, the good and the bad. And yes, I've got enough experience and enough stories to write a book. The only reason I haven't written that book yet is that I'm afraid it will be so big, nobody will be able to carry it. I've experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly. I've experienced where governments receive millions of dollars in foreign aid, and only one little percent of it trickles down to help the very people that it was given to help. I've experienced corruption in ways that probably some people would find it hard to believe and think I'm exaggerating. I've met people and organizations, though, that I would trust with my tap debit card. Think about it. You don't even need a PIN number. I have met people like that. I have met organizations like that where I would pass them my wallet and say, take what you need. I trust you to at least give me my wallet back. But on the other side, I have met people and organizations that I wouldn't even give them my email address. I uh, don't even accept them as a friend on social media. You have those two extremes, and I'm sure you have all encountered both extremes in one way or another. So today we're here to launch this new partnership with Hope Church and Compassion Canada. And the question needs to be asked, so what about compassion? Can I trust them? And how do I know? You need to be fruit inspectors of Compassion's ministry. It might shock you to hear me say that, but that is exactly the right question you ought to be asking. In a day of fake news, in a day of manipulated media, we have every right. No, let me restate that. We have the responsibility to ensure that our generous gifts are being used with integrity. I've always believed that as Christians, we are investors in God's kingdom, not just donors. Gone are the days when you write a check out and you hand it, or even gone are the days where you call an 800 number and give them your credit card. We should not be just handing over money and resources without knowing how that money and resources are being used. For us at Compassion, it is not about a transaction. It is about transformation. We are not in the business of collecting money. We are in the business of transforming lives. Now, we all know that takes money. Just like the church here doesn't exist 
to be a fundraising body or group. We exist, the church exists to bring the gospel to the community, but it takes money to pay the bills and the overheads. It's about being a transformational, not transactional. Now, Compassion is coming up on its 70th anniversary. Nearly three million children have already gone through our program since 1952. Today, over two million children are currently in our child development programs. We have over 8,000 local churches in 25 countries around the world that have partnered with Compassion to minister to these two million plus children. Before the pandemic hit, you know, when everything stopped, on an average typical year, we would have somewhere in the vicinity of 9,000 sponsors travel around the world and visit their sponsored children. 9,000 mini audits. That's the way I look at them. Because when a sponsor goes to visit their child, they get to see everything. They get to see the file cabinet in the Compassion Project office. They get to open it, pull out their child's folder, and go through all the documents. They get to ask the child, you know, last year I sent you a birthday gift. Did you get it? How much was it? They get to do all of that. They get to meet the parents, the pastor of the local church where the project is. That is integrity. That is transparency. When, when 9,000 sponsors from around the world get to do that kind of inspection, and you know, in all the years we've been doing this, we have never had one sponsor come back and ask for a refund. Not one. In fact, the most common response that we get is, how in the world do you do all of this with the little bit of money I give you? That's the most common response. And of course, the answer is the local church that we partner with. They do so much. Every dollar in Compassion's ministry is accounted for through a sophisticated network of audits and accountability structures. Compassion has a zero tolerance in the misuse of funds. And our view of, of the donated dollars that sponsors and donors give us is that this money is a sacred trust. Not one penny of it belongs to Compassion. We are simply God's stewards entrusted to ensure that the money releases children from poverty in Jesus' name, just as we promise our sponsors. So if integrity is doing what you claim to do, I think compassion gets a 10 out of 10. But listen to this. Integrity without strategy is simply poor stewardship. My pastor mentioned my, my recent book, Strategic Compassion. You know, 
A lot of people talk about compassion or, or pity, but unless you have a strategy, you're really not going to get anything accomplished. So you can be the most trustworthy organization, the most dependable, the most transparent organization, and yet not accomplish very much if you don't have a strategy. The biblical concept of stewardship is simply managing what does not belong to us. Luke 12 talks about the story of the steward and the servant who was held accountable for the care of what belonged to his master. Strategy means having a well-tested plan along with the ability to bring that plan to completion. Strategy is far more than just having a vision or a mission. It starts with a mission, but a mission without strategy is just wishful thinking. So for compassion, the mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Our strategy is multitask. It's, it's complex. Our strategy is holistic child development. Our strategy is one-on-one -on -one discipleship of children. Our strategy is reaching the child's family for Christ. Our strategy is to partner with the only entity that Christ created on earth to bring the good news of the gospel to the world, and that's the local church. Our strategy is to equip and empower that local church so that they can be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not about transferring money. It's about changing lives. That transactional versus transformational thing I talked about. And our strategy our strategy has been paying off big time for many years. I wish I could introduce to you just a few thousand of our graduates, but I want to show you one. A friend of mine, I've known Harriet since she was a little girl. Harriet Nantumba. She's from Uganda, just a village outside of Kampala. And her journey is so typical of the millions of children that are in or gone through Compassion's program. Her father abandoned the family uh, when she was about seven or eight years old. She had two younger siblings and their mom. They lived in the poorest conditions imaginable. I, I can assure you, you wouldn't put your pet dog in that place they called their house. She was so broken by the need of her family, the destitute situation, that she imagined someday as she got old enough that she would be able to contribute to the family and help her mom. And she had heard that in her village, a couple of girls had gone to the city, to Kampala, and worked on the street and made money and sent it back to help their family. So she, in her mind, thought that's probably the best option. I'm just too young at eight or nine. I've got to wait till probably 12 or 13. 
But God had a plan. And God used the little local church in her community that started a partnership with Compassion. Because she was so poor, her and her siblings were registered as sponsored children. God spoke to a, a sponsor in North America to say, would you sponsor little Harriet? And together they invested in her life. This is a picture of her university graduation. And today, she is not a little girl prostituting herself on the streets of Uganda. She is a human rights lawyer specializing in children's human rights. And she is well known in Kampala and the surrounding areas for standing up for the rights of children. That's what transformation does. No amount of money could do that. No amount of good deeds could do that. Only the power of God, only the saving power of God through the local church and the partnership of a loving, caring sponsor could make that happen. That, my friends, that is transformation. That is not transaction. Compassion strategy can be summed up in three distinct words, and I want to just take a, a minute and unpack them. First word is Christ. Second word is child. Third word is church. So compassion strategy really isn't unique or original. I wish I could say that. You know, after, after leading compassion for 38 years, You'd think I'd be able to stand up on stage and say, you know what, I created this really good strategy. I didn't. We didn't invent it. It comes straight out of the New Testament. Oh, yes, we've adapted it, but we didn't invent it. Our strategy is the same strategy employed by Jesus Christ when he came here to earth. The strategy is bringing the gospel, the good news that Jesus talked about in the synagogue in Nazareth, bringing the good news of the gospel to those in need and doing it through the local church. I don't know if you realize this or not, but God's plan, God's strategy to bring the gospel to mankind he has one mechanism, the local church. The church is God's plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. He has no backup. If the church fails, it all falls apart. I think he's pretty confident, though, that the church is not going to fail. I have built my church, he said, and the gates of hell cannot destroy it. That's what we mean when we use the word church. We align with the local church. Every compassion project is a partnership with a local church. Every sponsored child is known, loved, and connected with people in that local church. Every child is given an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior.
You know, governments, community organizations, even NGOs and individual philanthropists cannot provide the hands-on care of children and their families like the local church can. So that's the church. The other word was child. Child-focused. That's compassion strategy. Do you know that research tells us that 85% of all adult Christians in the world today made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior before the age of 14. I'm sure if I did a show of hands, many of you would fill in that category. Barner Research tells us that what a child believes by the time they are 14 years old, they will believe for the rest of their life. Think about that in a good sense, but also think about that in the bad, worst sense. D.L. Moody, and everybody is familiar with that famous evangelist, the Moody Bible Institute is known around the world as a training center for Christian workers. D.L. Moody on his dying bed said this, if I could live my life over again, I would devote it entirely to ministry to children. That's a profound and powerful statement. The most effective fight against poverty targets children. There is no greater mission field in the world than the hearts of our children. Right here in Mississauga or wherever you live and all around the world. So that's the church, that's children, and then we come to the third word, which is really the first word and the most important one, Christ. Compassion is all about Christ. Being Christ-centered is more than just a tagline. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 8 does not tell us to go into all the world and feed the poor. Am I right? The centrality of Christ must permeate our mission and our mission strategies and activities. If our message is not Christ, then we are not doing the Great Commission. There are so many Christians, so many kind-hearted, generous Christians doing so much good around the world. It's staggering. But sadly, not all of them are fulfilling the Great Commission because the Great Commission is not about doing good. The Great Commission is about bringing the good news of the gospel. And of course, in doing that, we do good. Jesus had the largest feeding program in the world. Think of it, 10,000 at a time. But Jesus didn't come to earth to feed people. He was, he was the most famous medical doctor ever known. He could not only help you with your fever, he could bring you out of the grave. But Jesus didn't come for that. 
He came to bring the good news of the gospel. Then why did he feed so many people? Why did he heal them? Simple, because he loved them and they needed it. But he didn't stop with the good deeds. The Great Commission is not about doing good. The Great Commission is about bringing the good news of the gospel. And of course, while we're doing the Great Commission, we care about people. Compassion's ministry is all about evangelism and discipleship of children. You see, poverty is not defeated by wealth. Poverty is defeated by hope. That's why I love the name of this church, Hope. So now you know. You know the answer to the two most important questions. You know what compassion is doing, our strategy, and you know who you can trust. You know that compassion has integrity. Compassion is not compassion without action. It's just feeling sorry for someone. Now that brings me to my third question. Are you ready to take action? Are you ready to implement the Great Commission? And as we launch our mission partnership between Hope Church and Compassion, I invite you to join thousands of Christians across Canada to be part of this hands-on transformational strategy of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. I'm going to show you a little quick video, and then Pastor Chris is going to come, and he's going to help you walk you through how we do this as a partnership with Hope Church. And I encourage you, follow the heart of God, but do your homework and make sure you are a fruit inspector. God bless you.